You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. You can now have a seat, and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, we're going to chat. Father, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you gather us together um, as your people and, and some who are not your people today. And We're just so excited to be able to sing to you and about you and and pray and lean into you and, and now sit under your word. I ask that you would transform us by your word, that the Holy Spirit would invade our minds and hearts and, and wring us out of ourself and, and remind us of what's good and true and glorious, and that is you. We love you. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Legend has it, Christmas in the year 1914 brought a twinkle of Christmas peace despite the gloomy onset of World War I. You may have heard the story, but it goes something like this. In Christmas Eve 1914, there was a, a British soldier. He described the day like this. He says, later on, In the day, they came towards us, they being the German soldiers. He said, uh, and our our chaps went out uh, to meet them, and I shook hands with some of them, and they gave us cigarettes and cigars. We did not fire that day, and everything was so quiet, it seemed like a dream. Can you imagine that? Shooting each other in the trenches, war, bombs, and then suddenly... There's a, a, a truce. Another British, British soldier writes, Here we were laughing and chatting to men whom only a few hours prior we were trying to kill. Other diaries and letters describe German soldiers using candles to light Christmas trees around their trenches. By the way, I know it's not Christmas yet, but I'm really excited about that. Uh, <laughs> One German infantryman described how a British soldier set up a makeshift barbershop, charging Germans a few cigarettes each for a haircut. 
Other accounts describe vivid scenes of men helping enemy soldiers collect their dead, of which there were plenty. One German lieutenant who spoke both English and German described a pickup soccer, of course he called it football probably, but pickup soccer game in his diary. Eventually the English brought out a soccer ball from their trenches. Pretty soon a lively game ensued. How marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends, if only for a moment in time. That is beautiful, and it's also a, a portal to view reality beyond the, the eyes, uh, beyond that which, which our eyes can see. In those trenches, there were, there were two types of people. There were allies and there were enemies, and that was the clear lines. But, but sometimes, and certainly on a day like this, those lines blur. What, what we call enemies might only be so because of where we were born or what uniforms they wear or what language we speak or what neighborhood school they attend or what mascot we wear on our hat or, or who they vote for or what color bandana we wear or, or the last name, Capulet, Montague, Hatfield, McCoy, you name it. Those are things that, that allow us to draw lines. And what Jesus does here today is, is he confronts us in our tracks, not only helping us see enemies in a different light, but he shows us the weight of our interactions with those enemies. It is true. Our life in Christ is about Christ's work to us, full stop, period. It is about what Christ has done for us, to us, in us, through us. But that grace that he gives and that love that he pours out, it takes root in those who follow him. And the fruit that grows, it, it matters. And that's what he's telling us today, that it matters how we live our life, how we engage with the relationships around us, how we interact with those that we might call enemies. The big idea today is, is the way we relate to our enemies tells the story of how God relates to us, right? And, and really that's been true of marriage and so many of the other things we've talked about in this series. The, the way that we relate to others tells a story. And the question is, is it the true story? Is it, is it the true story of how God relates to us or is it a false story that we tell others by the way that we interact with our enemies? And today I just wanna ask three questions. And I think the answer to the first one is sizably longer than the last two, all right? So just relax, all right? Um, the first question is this, who are my enemies? Like I ask you, like what came to mind when I start talking about enemies? Are you like, ooh, like, like are you thinking people, a person, does it have a name? Who are my enemies? Jesus says this, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. See, I mentioned Uniforms and, and mascots, politics and nations, wars and rivalries, because I'm trying to think about the things that make my heart rate increase as I root against someone else. And some of those things, some of those people are, are on small scale and simple, and some of those are, are much bigger. Sometimes it's personal, friendships that have gone sideways, and you would say, yeah, that person is my enemy. Sometimes it's an ex who has caused you or maybe continues to cause you great harm. Maybe it's that bro who stole your girl, right? Like, there are lots of things that make us enemies. 
I've been the victim of theft, as maybe many of you have. And I, I just remember in those moments when I'm like discovering that someone's like been in my space and messed with my stuff, like my heart rate's like, oh, like I just, it, it just like makes me angry immediately. And, and certainly there's abuse of all sorts that, that brings those emotions into us. Maybe a, a helpful question that I want to ask is, is what, what bumper sticker do you need to see or what, what flag raised or what, what group do you need to see to stir your heart towards the negative that just like, like that makes you angry and, and you begin to have vengeful thoughts? It's got you thinking like Batman, right? And you just want to like enact vengeance. Um, you, may, you, you may consider your enemy, those who looked, those who act a certain way, a type of person, a certain demographic you may set uh, and let those stereotypes drive your bias, your prejudice, unjust, discriminant, racist, nationalist, sexist thoughts and fears and actions, hatred. And what I hope happens today is, is I hope to challenge that. Because certainly for those who are in Christ, Jesus challenges, he challenges those notions inside of us. And I think there's no better way to do that than to talk about reality TV, right? And we know that reality TV, if anything, is real. It is real life. Um, and so uh, maybe that's not true, but I, I know I've talked about this before. My family, we, we watch The Amazing Race, and we see some parts of the world that we wouldn't get to see otherwise, and we talk about that, and we watch the show Survivor. Right now we're in a Survivor pool with some of you guys, so, so every week we live chat about Survivor, and I'm going to win $10,000 when my person wins. Um, that's not true. I'm kidding. Everybody's like, is he serious? I'm like, wow, $10,000. I want in, you said. Um, but but the, sh the, the show is basically, they, they drop some people off on islands, and there's tribes, maybe two, maybe three, and in the very beginning, they're handed out buffs or like bandanas, and they have different colors. And, and that's, that's it. From the beginning, it is us versus them from the beginning. It's this tribe versus this tribe versus this tribe. And, and often there's no other affiliation other than just a random bandana that they were given just before they, they were thrown off of the boat, right? Consider how much that reflects the bigger picture of our own lives, the world that we live in. Zoom way out, zoom way in at that point. There's, there's no regard for personality. There's no regard for background, work ethic, affinity, passions. None of that matters. It's, it's we are one because, hey, look at the color of our bandana. And they are our enemy. And we must continue to win and they must continue to lose. Of course, the game forces them to slowly devour one another and infighting which makes for a good TV, but, but also good reflections of the human condition. Like how tightly do others hold to tribal allegiance, whatever that looks like, based on nothing more than, than just some random or seemingly random assignment. I talk about sports and reality shows and war because all of those things do something that our culture is really good at. And that's drawing lines around abstract concepts that end up uniting us 
in, 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 uh, in ways, in dividing us in ways that have no real bearing on anything outside of those lines. Or, or we draw human-defining, dignifying lines around things that do matter, but we just put way too much weight on those lines. So Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And the context of Jesus' words is, is the Sermon on the Mount, the, the goat, the greatest sermon of all time. The ghost, maybe, right? Uh, the, the greatest sermon of all time, the, the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's helping his disciples find their way by, by following the way. He is the way and the truth and the life, and he's showing them what it looks like to follow him, follow the way in a world that's crooked and corrupt. And to be clear, his words are not hypothetical. He's not just up there like, okay, like we don't really have enemies. Suppose you had an enemy, right? He's not doing that at all. In fact, the first century Christians were among the most hated humans to live on the planet. In fact, there were 11 Roman rulers in a row who vowed to stamp out Christianity. The most powerful humans on the planet in the day, with the most powerful armies, Literally, I will stamp you out. Not to mention that the Jews who they had, had, had a similar background with, right, they didn't like him either. And so it was literally from the left and, and from the right, they were being attacked. And, and maybe you've heard names like this, like in history class, like Nero or Vespasian or Domitian or Trajan or Hadrian or all these AENs, right? Uh, Diocletian, those, those guys vowed to stamp out Christianity. And as one pastor, Matt Chandler, said, I heard him say a couple years back, he said, man, I, I visited Rome. He said, these rulers who, who set to stamp out this, this movement of God, I paid 10 bucks to go see the ruins of their failed attempts. To, to stop the movement of the saving work and the rescue of the plan of God. So Jesus isn't talking about merely mad bloggers, although mad bloggers can be our earthly enemies for sure. He's coaching the way through hostility in a world where most who heard these words from Jesus would die by the sword. Right? So he acknowledges that we have enemies in this life, like real enemies, flesh and blood in this life. He helps define those enemies by, by couching them in a category that has everything to do with how they perceive us, not how we perceive them. It's not us declaring these other people our enemies. It's they are declaring us their enemies. What do I do? How do I live with them? And the encouragement throughout the scriptures is live peaceably with all men so much as depends on you. And gosh, that's like a fine concept. And it's really difficult when you're processing with someone deep hurt that you've had. And they say, yeah, but what we get to do is live peaceably with all as much as depends on me. Like, there is some element of us-them language here. 
but I, I will tell you this, in our culture, in our context, us, them, language, it's, it's not super helpful. It, it blurs lines. It, it removes nuance. It, it makes everything black and white, and there's no gray, right? It makes everyone an enemy or an ally. Us, them, language in our culture today means that, that disagreement is an attack on personhood. Like, we, we can't just casually disagree with someone without attacking their identity or, or their person. Today, disagreement is like a siege that demands a response. And so what we do is we build, we build fortresses and we prepare our defense, um, our defenses of our brothers and sisters who might bite and devour. And, and we have our finger on the trigger, like our phone keyboard, of course, and we wait for something that looks remotely like the enemy that we've been trained to fear by rabbit-holing endless YouTube videos. And when we see them, before we verify, before we validate, before we ask more questions, we launch our counterattack, leading with assumption, silencing benefit of doubt, and we dare not put our supposed enemy in the best light. No, we just want to clump them together with the worst that we've encountered that remotely resembles what we already know that they probably think and live like. Scripture continually deals with enemies of the flesh that are defined by how they see us. But he redeems the relationship by, by leading us to know how we are to live with them. And he, and he never promises that all of your enemies will become your friends. Yeah, but if I do the right... For a long time... I thought if I just did the right thing, then like people do the right thing back. And get, guess what? They don't. See, I, I thought my whole life growing up, like if you just give me 15 minutes to talk, then surely this person will see that it was just a misunderstanding. Or if it's something I did, I can acknowledge that and we can move on better together. But, but do you know what? That's not true. That's not the way that it works. And, and I hate that. He never promises that all our enemies will be friends, but, but he does promise that our ultimate enemy will be destroyed. He does promise that. There is hope in that. Wisdom wouldn't expect us to intentionally put ourselves in harm's way, to trust the untrustworthy. Wisdom would not have us call uh, allies, those who are clearly set against us, but Jesus does caution our hearts not to give them more power over us by giving them the keys to our hearts, to our minds, to our emotions, or, or ultimately to our actions. You don't have to give someone that power no matter what. Man, there's this, this Woman, Kat Von D, tattoo artist, uh, part of the occult, recently renounced the occult, recently got baptized, and, and she said this, she's an influencer or whatever, um, not in my world, but in someone's world, right? <clears throat> she says, uh, this is interesting, she says, I expected a lot of criticism and hate, 
Like, she, like she's, she's making a large leap in the world of the occult, finding herself among brothers and sisters in a local church. She was baptized. I expected a lot of criticism and hate, especially since most of my followers are specifically not Christian. But I couldn't believe the amount of negative comments and hate I got from Christians. That adds up. Am I shocked when I read that? No. And, and that, that ought not be. That's not, that's not okay. Why? I think it's because they're, com- they're confused about who their enemy is. And, and, and again, forget tattoo artists with national platforms. I have former friends, brothers and sisters who share common faith in Christ alone as their only hope in life and death, who, who fire shots at me and, and on occasion to me, which I greatly prefer. And I've said to them, like, you're firing shots at an ally. I, I'm not your enemy. You, you think I'm dressed like an enemy, but, but brother, you're, you're wrong. You, you are colorblind to the uniform that I am wearing. See, I, I think it's been said a lot of ways, but one of the biggest surprises when all of this wraps up, in the new heavens and the new earth, one of the biggest surprises will be not only those who we thought were part of the kingdom that won't be there, but those who we could have sworn were not a part of God's family, who surely will be, singing the glory of God with God and his people, alongside people from every tribe, nation, tongue of this earth, forever alongside us. Wyatt Graham, uh, in an article on the Gospel Coalition, Satan is our enemy, the gospel is our cause, he says this. Jesus commands his disciples to love their human enemies. We should not treat people like the world treats its enemies, even if they view us as enemies. The Bible is more than clear on who our ultimate enemy is. Our ultimate enemy is the devil. Jesus says so. He calls Satan the enemy, the enemy. He tempted the first parents. He continues to do so. He does so by enticing our passions and desires so that we choose to sin. Right? He draws out of us what's already there. That's his work, sin. The devil is a liar. And it's been said that the devil's greatest lie was convincing people he didn't exist. Maybe, or maybe his greatest lie is thinking that people, our neighbors, are our ultimate enemy and not him. My point, whether someone is your enemy or not, we view people as those whom God loves and whom we should too. The God of this world has blinded many. Our response, be like Jesus and pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our ultimate enemy is the devil. See, we imagine him in a thousand faces, and we confuse our real enemy while forgetting the mastermind's work. We project 
ultimate hatred towards sin and brokenness, and we, we line it up on any target that's close by. See, confusing our enemy causes us to do a couple things. It causes us to imagine enemies when they're not really there at all. It causes us to fear our enemies in ways that are unreasonable given the Lord that we know. And it causes us to fight them in unwise ways, in the wrong ways given the Lord that we know, that he is the, the God of all vengeance, that vengeance is in his hand, that, that nothing catches him off guard, that, that, that your worst day is not outside of his, of his eyesight, outside of his ears. The way we relate to our enemies tells the story of how God relates to us. The second thing, the second question we get to ask is how do I love my enemies? Well, what's really great about this is I don't really have to say anything because Jesus just tells us a bunch of stuff. To, uh, he informs us on how we get to love our enemies. This is what he says. Bless those who curse you. Dang. Pray for those who abuse you. Did I mention that, that this is one of the most difficult pieces of Scripture to apply in our lives? To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak... Do not withhold your tunic. One of those is a shirt and one's a coat. I don't know which one's which. But he says, hey, if someone takes your coat, give them your shirt. If they take your shirt, give them your coat, right? Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. You mean, the? are you talking about the thief that stole my chainsaw that I hadn't even used for my garage? Is that what you're talking about? No, man, I'm, I'm at the pawn shop. I'm wanting my chainsaw back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Like, gosh, the, the mix, I'm going to treat you like you treated me. That's not what this says. It says treat them like you wish they would treat you. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Who doesn't want to be loved? That's easy. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. If it's a lucrative business deal, of course. It costs me nothing. See, these things, I, I don't think, are all the exact things that we must do in every situation. This is the only way to love. It's, it's, it's not that. This is not the only way to love that you have to do each of these things every time in this exact way. Jesus is giving the tone of the song that we must sing as we interact with our enemies. A couple questions. Can we press charges? 
I, I think we can. Can we shine light on abuse? We must. Can we say no to rounding up to the nearest dollar for the Dave Thomas Scholarship Fund when you get a Frosty at Wendy's? <laughs> like, yeah. You, I've said this before. No guilt. You decide what you do with your money. You decide what scholarship fund you want to give to. Live a generous life, but don't feel compelled to give to Dave Thomas because you wanted a Frosty at 11 o'clock at night. If someone is hitting you, can you run? I think you can. If someone is hitting you, can you hit them back? That might be another sermon. See, this is the chorus of our song, Although they hate you, love them. Although they hate you, love them. Eugene Peterson, he, he paraphrases like this. He says, let them bring out the best in you. Oh, man. Let my enemy bring out the best in me. Let them bring out the best in you. If someone takes advantage of you, use the opportunity to practice the servant life. No more payback. Live generously. If someone is your enemy, how do you relate? How do you interact with them? Not how should you, how do you? You should think about this. Like, what's your go-to moves? Where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? Do you give them the cold shoulder? Do you gossip and slander? It's like low-hanging fruit, not, not good fruit. But the first thing we do is we talk about them to other people. Do you vandalize their name and, and maybe their stuff? I mean, like we know how Carrie Underwood goes. She, she digs her keys into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. She carves her name into his leather seats. She takes a Louisville slugger to both headlights. She slashes a hole in all four tires. Why? Well, maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. And you know what's funny about that? Like, the style of music aside? That just feels so good. Those words feel really good. It's us and it's them. It's them getting what they deserve through my hands, the one whom they hurt. <laughs> that, feels, that feels really good. And so my, my encouragement is when you feel those things, seek to understand what's happening inside of you. What am I believing is true about this? Ultimately, what am I believing is true about the Lord? What do I believe is true about me? What, I, what do I believe is true about this person who's harmed me? And, and yet, the call for those who follow Jesus, love, don't hate. 
give, don't take, receive, don't reject, pray for, don't harm. Even the world loves those who love. Even the world is generous when it's, when if it, when it's a good business deal. But I say, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Ah. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I don't think that it's actual burning coals on his head. Well, what I gather is, is that, that, that phrase means to burn them with shame. Right? Like, uh, take the high road and, and they'll see. But you know what? They, they don't always see. But sometimes they do. What I, what I think this means practically and, and maybe reluctantly is, is if, if you're playing soccer against a hack, someone's just hacking you in ways that are just not, like, come on, like, right? We don't have to play like that. Or they're talking, they're chirping, just talking trash. It, it means that after you meg them and they fall down, you score a goal, it means you can help them up, Right? Or, or as some athletes say, like, I thought about this more than I should have this week. Basketball scenario, football scenario, someone grabs the football from over top of someone else, or they dunk on someone, and they say, like, on his head, all right? That's what, Jackson's like, yeah, that's what they do. That's what they do. I'm thinking, like, is that biblical? It's not. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it is, but, but heat burning coals on their head, not by mocking them, but by literally taking the high road. And, and here's the thing. It makes much more sense to do them harm. Much, much more sense. Anyone around you would say, give them what they deserve. It makes much more sense to do harm, but it makes much more kingdom impact to love them. I think that's what... It's what Jesus is telling us. And so the last question is this. Why should I love my enemies? Why should I? Or why should I? Well, he tells us in Luke 6, 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Right? In a, in a grace-filled gospel culture like this room right here like it says the word reward and you're like <gasps> like this is the gospel is not merit-based you better believe it's not it, it is merit-based but it's only the merit of jesus that can earn us anything right but but rewards aren't anti-gospel they are the affirmation of the inward change that, that shows up through our actions. Like dead faith isn't saving faith, so, so works don't save, but, but saving faith is followed by gospel work. Like that's pretty clear throughout the scriptures. Like you follow Jesus? Yeah, I follow Jesus. I, I love lots of people. Oh man, that's, that's awesome. And what he's saying is anyone can love those that are lovely. Anyone can love those that are lovable. But those who follow Jesus love those that are unlovable. Those that follow Jesus are love those that, that are unlovely. That's the, that's the invitation. That's what we get to do. For he is kind 
to the grateful. I may have closed out my sermon, but not in the right way. Pausing for this commercial break. <laughs> for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Love my enemy. Why should I do that? Because God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's, that's, that's us, right? And, and he's just to the repentant. Be merciful, he says, even as your father is merciful. Like, here's the thing. The idea that, that enemies, uh, that, that we have enemies, it's, it's not new. It's from the beginning. We know good versus evil. And, and, and we are trained to quickly call out bad guys and, and be quick to search for allies. In, in literature, in cinema, in stories that, that move along paths, they move along very predictable paths. In all stories, all those storylines that go somewhere involve conflict, a good and a bad. An enemy might be the clock, or it might be some internal push-pull, or it might be a bully, or a nation, or an extraterrestrial force. And for you literary types, you know that there are ish seven types of conflict, and some of those are internal and some are external, man versus himself, man versus destiny, man versus society, man versus nature, technology, man versus man, man versus supernatural. And the point in all of that is we can spot an enemy a mile away, even if she, even if she isn't really our enemy, because we're looking we understand the stripped down and flattened versions of good and evil at a very young age because Disney has trained us to do so. But because of sin, our enemy radar is misguided at the deepest level. Like bad guys don't always wear black ski masks in alleys late at night. But, but all of those tales that we've been trained on, they are glittered lights reflecting a, a mirror ball of the greatest reality for humanity, that we have an enemy, that God has an enemy, but it's probably not who you think. Like, you know that movie where there's like that big plot twist at the end? Like, fill in the blank, right? Well, it turns out that this is one, and it turns out that that you're the enemy, and you've been the enemy all along. That I'm the enemy, and I've been the enemy all along. I thought it was someone else. It's, it's me. The, the only thing that makes you not an enemy is that Jesus crossed enemy, enemy lines, and he called you by your name, and he brought you out of the bunker that was going to be destroyed, and he fed you, and he healed you, and he called you friend. And he calls us sons of the Most High. Why would I love my enemies? That's why. That's why I would love my enemies. Or as Paul says in Romans 5, he says it like this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Wait, tell me Jesus didn't die for me like because on my very best day, I like got something right? No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, you have now been justified by his blood, 
much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God for our sin. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So, so what Jesus prayed at the end of his life, what Stephen prayed at the end of his life when he was being bombarded with rocks, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine that as your heartbeat towards your enemies? That hurt. Ugh. That hurt. Ugh. That hurt. You hurt me. You caused me harm. Right? And it doesn't mean that you have to vacation with them. It, 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 there are times when you can cut people out of your life, right? But, but when your posture is forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, it allows you to love them, understanding all the realities at play. Because of sin, we go through life as, as if we're wearing different uniforms and, and, and soldiers and sports and politics and mascots and friend groups and, and all those thinking that the other is the enemy. And, and we hear this from that British soldier, how marvelously wonderful yet how strange it was. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love managed to bring mortal enemies together. And as he, as he said, as friends, if only for an evening but the beauty of this work, this good news, the work of Jesus on our behalf as his enemy is he does that not for an evening but for all time. And that's our invitation today. See, the way that we relate to our enemies tells the story of how God relates to us. Does the way that you interact with enemies tell this story of how God interacts with you? Or does it tell another story? Today, we are not taking communion, as Pastor Scott said earlier. We, we are going to, the band can come on up. We're, we're going to celebrate and welcome new members into the community and, and the mission of God through baptism. And this is going to be really exciting. And for the next 15 minutes, it's going to feel like sheer chaos, right? And, but it's the best type. Right, the best type of chaos. So if you're being baptized, you're welcome to go change and figure out what you, what you need to do there. If you have a tiny child back in Kayville, you can go back and get them. Uh, if they're in kindergarten through sixth grade, they will be out running around, and it's going to be wild. All right? And we're celebrating this fact that we were all once enemies, and now we are sons of the Most High, sons and daughters of the Most High. So there'll be some ref reflection questions on the screen. You can read those, take a picture of those, sing those, sit down where you are, stand up. Um, we'd love you to hang out and celebrate this time with us. Father, thank you for, for your plans, and they're not like our plans. They look different. Thank you for showing us your ways, inviting us into your way. Would you empower us? Would you equip us not to just do better and love more, but would you wring the flesh out of ourselves? By, by pouring your love into us. As we gaze at the grace that you give us, the love that you give us, not because we deserve it, but because we don't. Would you let that shape us in the way that we interact 
with those who may not love or like us. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.